With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror mine, mirror mine You twist and turn my mind Until I don't know who I am Mirror mine Good morning and welcome to another special edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. There's no Johnny today um, because there was a very special blog that went out on Le Grove last week. Um, it was a scouting blog. You probably saw it because a lot of people tuned in. A lot of people were sliding into my DMs, praising it. And I have got the author of that blog, um, LeGrove, regular now, um, Mike McDonald. Mike, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about um, who you are and um, where this football knowledge comes from. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I am a Brit abroad, much like Pete, but I'm not in uh, the big city. I'm, uh, I'm in rural East Tennessee, where um, I came to uh, just teach kids soccer back when I was a younger guy, about 20 years ago, and um, was set up on a blind date. So I won't bore you with the full story, but that's why I'm here. Um, and now I have a family. Um, I'm a blessed man. And so I coach. Uh, have an uh, academy for little kids. I've always felt that the younger, younger kids don't get the uh, rub of the green when it comes to um, uh, being taught by people with some experience. So I have an academy for kids between the age of four and nine, and then I'm a high school coach. Uh, and I've coached at all different levels over here and in England as well. But um, that's uh, that's me. That's that's great. I mean, give us um, give us a little bit of a hot take on what you think about. Uh, the emergence of American football uh, as like a, a hot place to be if you're a if you're a Bundesliga team like people are, are recognizing the coaching in America now like what's um what's your feelings on uh, on American football and where it's going 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's moving. It's um, the World Cup, uh, the women's soccer has really helped. And it's now, I think, the largest sport for kids in this country between the ages of something like eight and 14. If you include the boys and the girls, of course, it has more uh, participants than basketball. And it's um, it's really booming. I think the safety factor that's been the, the hot topic for quite a while is, is a part of that as well. It's a safer sport than American uh, football and uh, some of the other sports that they have here. So uh, the, the families that come to me and bring their kids at the age of four, which is when I start, they uh, they just love the sport and the fact that the kids are active and um, things are changing over here. The MLS is growing. It's all growing. And so um, it's good stuff. Yeah, David Beckham's got a team. They're talking about Leo Messi uh, maybe coming to, uh, to to Miami at some point. Things are on the things are on the up. Yeah. And um, so, uh, um, before we before we get into the to the content of today, I'd love to hear your relationship with Arsenal and and where that blossomed from. Oh gosh, I was bought a record. You know, one of those actual records back in nineteen seventy. Nine. Um, my uh, my mum bought it for me. It was Arsenal three, Manchester United two, and I put it on my record player, and um, and I was hooked. I was hooked to that. I was hooked to Alan Sunderland's massive perm. It um, it grabbed me, and it's something for everybody. Sometimes it's a kit. Sometimes it's a visit. That was it for me. And then uh, I started to follow it. Uh, I started to. My mum took me to a behind the scenes tour of High. Um, she got me a signed football. And um, I was outside uh, for five or six hours a day from that point on and, and loved it, loved Arsenal. So I've um, that was from the age of five. So I've been going at this thing from the age of five and then started coaching at 16. Uh, did you remember Eddie Nijveski, who was the Chelsea goalkeeper back yeah. in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, I taught his kids and he was the one that got me into coaching. So he's now, I think, he, he goes everywhere with Mark Hughes. So wherever Mark Hughes is coaching, which isn't anymore, but um, that's the guy that got me into it. And coaching is um, coaching is an ever-developing space. And uh, it's so a lot of people say football is very simple. And when you sort of dig into how the modern coaches are approaching the game now, starts to look at it, it. It feels like the game is adding a lot of complexity um, and the intelligence to be a, a top class footballer now is, is, is not on par, but not close to, uh, you know, a, a ability on the pitch and physicality. Like intelligence is, is going to be more prominent as we, as we move into, you know, the next five years of the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and the unfortunate part of that, I've got to be honest with you, and we're seeing it very much so at Arsenal, is um, it's becoming a coach's game. I don't like that, really. And um, I think Arteta's overdoing it. And I think that might actually be his downfall in the end if it is if he does uh, fall down, is, um, is his t- um, uh, controlling nature. And the, the game is becoming a little robotic and, um, uh, and guided by the coaches. And I know that people who go to the game say that he will um, even... Um, dictate almost every pass that Arsenal have the opportunity to play. And I wish it wasn't going that way. And I hope that that doesn't encourage other people to uh, to follow in that pattern. But I do see it going that way, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a make or break season. It's a make or break season for Arsenal. So before we get onto the Arteta thing, let's talk about, um, let's do a little, little quick roundup of, uh, of the Euros because... Uh, there's a lot of games going off. It's been a pretty decent start by uh, by by international competition standards. Um, what did you think of uh, what did you think of England's first run out against Croatia? 
Oh, that was brilliant. I loved it. It was much better than I thought it would be. I'm, uh, I'm happy that Southgate's been vindicated because I know we've all got our opinions of whether Grealish would start or whoever it may be. But I think what's more important is that the nation gets behind his decisions and trusts him. And I think England have got a chance if people start to trust him and leave him alone. Uh, I love that. I love the fact that Mings was another one that needed to have a big game. I think people trusted him and I thought he played very well. And um, and then we've only got the, the Harry Kane thing hanging over us as to whether that's going to work for England the way it does for Tottenham, right? Yeah, it was... Um, it, I, I, I don't think we've ever won an opening game in in that tournament, which absolutely staggered me. And, to you know, it doesn't matter whether Modric is 35 years old now. Beating uh, a strong team in fairly fairly comfortable fashion in your opening game with the weight of a nation on you... I thought it was pretty impressive. And for the first 25 minutes, the football was sensational. Yeah. Like some of the passing and, you know, the, 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 the biggest joy that I take out of watching England at the moment is sometimes you have to sort of to double take. You're like, this team plays good football and it has a lot of exciting players because these players are being coached by the greatest in the world now. It's like the influence, the foreign influence on the Premier League um, and all of the investment seems like it could potentially pay dividends. I mean, when you can afford to leave Jack Grealish on the bench and still beat Croatia, it shows you the depth and the opportunity there is to maybe maybe bring football home um, yeah. at the end of this tournament. Yeah, yeah. It's a, also, I'd say that the other coaches, other teams, other fans are looking at the fact that Jadon Sancho, who's about to get transferred for about 100 million, didn't even make the squad. And that's probably pretty frightening for, the, for our opponents to think how strong we are um, I just hope that we don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, I, I, I hope we don't as well. And I hope we don't let the the weight of the moment get on top of us because there are there have been some pretty spectacular teams over the last 20 years that have uh, have gone out in limp fashion. So let's hope that this is different. And it is a, it's definitely a more likeable generation than we've had in the past. Let's hope it's uh, more successful on the pitch. Yeah. Um, also, before we jump into talking about players that are relevant to Arsenal, uh, it would be remiss not to talk about the Christian Eriksen incident. I don't think I've seen something that harrowing um, on live television in so much detail as, as watching Eriksen hit the deck with a with a heart problem. Um, like as a coach, when you see something like that happen, like what were your what were your first thoughts? I've uh, only experienced something similar-ish once, which is where a boy got elbowed in the back of his head. And when I ran out there, he was having a seizure um, and it was awful. Never seen anything quite like that. And I think that if there's anything good that comes out of this, and I think it will, it's the uh, the, the need for defibrillators to be more easily accessible because that's what saved his life. They said that the first first hit, um, woke him up. So without that, I think they say it's a 7% chance of survival just with the hands and mouth. Um, but I think it goes up to about 70% if you have a defibrillator in the space that I work in at my job, we have one. And uh, I think that those things are going to become more commonplace and maybe there's a good reason for everything. Who knows? And maybe that is the reason. Maybe, maybe this is uh, going to turn out to be a good thing and many more lives will be saved, Pete. Yeah, and you do, um, you know, when you see a 29-year-old athlete that's been water and fed to perfection his entire life have a heart condition like that on the pitch in one of the yeah. biggest tournaments in the world, it does make you double take for, you know, your Sunday league team. We've got, got a lot of friends that, uh, that prepare in a, in a much uh, 
a much less impressive way every weekend that uh, that were on the on the messaging group saying well, maybe maybe we should have somebody that knows CPR and maybe we should invest in a defibrillator or like <laughs> something like that. I think that yeah. there's a there's a video going around on the FA about how to resuscitate somebody that's had a heart attack on a pitch. And I hope that everybody that's listening to this that plays football and even if you don't um, like educate yourself because. Um, I'm certainly going to be on that video a little bit later because, I mean, my word, you, you, you wonder, like, if, if that happened in the street, Christian Eriksen probably wouldn't have survived. I mean, he was he was out straight away. So fair play to the medics, fair play to the, the footballers, you know, the captain who pulled his tongue out of his mouth. And um, I thought the way that they crowded him out was, uh, you know, showed real leadership in that moment. And thank God he's OK. Because what, a yeah. horrible, uh, what a horrible moment that would have been for everybody. Okay, um, so let's let's move on to the to the meat of the podcast. Uh, you wrote an extraordinary um, blog piece uh, about the midfield conundrum that we have this season. the The news coming out of the club it seems pretty clear. Granite Xhaka, um, at twenty eight years old, I think twenty nine in September, is close to agreeing a deal with Roma. Danny Ceballos is not coming back, thankfully. And uh, Martin Odegaard looks unlikely now. Uh, we know Florentino Perez loves Odegaard. And we know that uh, Ancelotti is probably being hired because he's going to do what Florentino Perez tells him to do. So there's quite a few openings um, in the midfield. We know that Thomas Partey is world-class. We know that he's going to stay next season and will be important. Um, so we're in this interesting situation where there are some clear problems at Arsenal that could be addressed by rebuilding that midfield. So I would love to get your take, um, you know, top level, what you, what you see the problems are at Arsenal and, um, you know, what sort of mix are we going to need to solve? And then we can start talking about some of the names that were on your list. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, the needs that I think that we have, um, I think Arsenal need an accelerator. They need somebody um, who can move the ball uh, with the ball, um, through the midfield at pace, bring the ball to the attack, to the final third. Um, we don't really have that. Well, we have that in Thomas Party, but then you're asking your defensive midfielder who's also supposed to be behind you to do the job uh, of somebody else. Um, so we either need somebody like a Basuma who's going to sit and allow Party to do much of this list that I'm going to talk about here, or, uh, or we need somebody else or some bodies else. I think we need uh, some players that can play with... Uh, Greater tempo. Granite Xhaka has his uses, but and Sabias as well. But they don't really play with any tempo. Very, very rarely we know Danny Sabias would hit the ball with one touch. Granite Xhaka is the same way. Doesn't really pump the ball between the lines with one touch with any kind of regularity. And I think we need a player that can do that. Um, we are, I think, statistically the lowest, weakest team in the league on tackling in the midfield third. So there's obviously a need for somebody that can tackle um, and win the ball because football is now a transitional game, isn't it? So um, the more tackles you have and with the exciting talent that we have in the final third, we could um, move that needle from the, is it the 55 goals we scored this season? We could get another, you know, 15, 20 just off the back of transition and tackling in the midfield. Um, we need goals, Pete. Um, and I say we need them, you know, Liverpool, for example, don't necessarily use their midfield for goals. I'm aware of that, but um, I think we need uh, the threat of that, whether that means keeping Joe Willock or uh, or buying somebody that offers the goal threat running running from deep. Um, I feel like we need a, some, a player that is going to win second balls. We win some first balls, but uh, 
statistically our uh, likelihood of winning the second ball is very low. Um, and so they're the things that I suppose uh, I feel that we we need. And then, of course, you know, the power and pace, I suppose, maybe that one comes top of the list. I've missed that one out. And that one's just the, the bleeding obvious, isn't it, that uh, we need power and pace. And I know uh, Thomas Party has that, but I don't think you can form a, a cohesive midfield unit if you just have one player that has it. And last season with Xhaka, El Nene and Ceballos, he, he was standing alone. So I remember when he came in, Pete, I said the first thing that I think we would we would say about Thomas Partey is where's his twin brother? Because if we had two of two like him, you know, then then we can move him further forward or allow him to play the defensive role and the other guy could accelerate the play. So um, I suppose that's the list for me. Yeah, I, that's that's a great list, and I, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to break out some of the language as well because sometimes you end up reading a word and you just kind of you never really understand it truly. And I, like transitions, so uh, Granite Xhaka is uh, a player that can transition the ball through the field. Can you explain? what the core strength of Granite Jacker is because a lot of people are like he's not very good but he's obviously got something that his international manager liked he's got something they liked in Germany and he's got something that Mourinho wants at Roma like can you can you put some language around what it is that Jack Jacker does that m- makes coaches excited yeah yeah well I think in a nutshell it's tactical awareness I think the guy knows where to be and where to stand um, hence, and because the game is more of a coach's game now, the coaches uh, want to control it and they need a player in the middle of the field that's in the right position um, because so many of the the other options are players that just freewheel it or um, will uh, take risks. And he's the player that um, can be controlled by a coach. Hence, I think why Arsenal are potentially going after Ruben Neves. I feel like that's a replica, Pete. I feel like Arteta being the type of coach that he is and wanting to control, wants somebody that he can control. And I think that Neves, I think he wants to keep Granit Xhaka, but he can't. I think there was a, a deal done, it seems like to me, way back when um, Xhaka was um, out with the Arsenal fans to stay till the end of the season. And, and now he's he's gone. And I think Arteta would rather keep him. So he's trying to find a replica. Um, so I think um, that's what Xhaka offers. I think he offers uh, obedience. Um, that may seem like a strange word to describe a midfielder, but a guy who's so tactically astute isn't hardly ever out of position, except if you dribble past him and uh, and will obey the coach and stand where he's supposed to stand and doesn't have to be told because he understands the game so well. Yeah, I can't remember the coach that he had at Mönchengladbach um, for the first part of his career. I think, I think it was Rafa Honigstein said that when... When you, if you were one yard out of position, he would stop the training session and berate you for being out of position. So that um, that tactical adherence um, makes sense. And then um, talk about uh, talk to us about um, progressive ball movement because yeah, we are being linked with lookalike players, and one of those lookalike players is Ruben Neves. And you know, talk about the the strengths of what that offers the team. Yeah, well, um, we are just very slow in the middle third of the field, and yet we've got such an electric, potentially an electric forward line. And so, to me, Arsenal's um, attacking team doesn't match, the midfield doesn't match the attack. If you've got players like Saka and Martinelli and Smith-Rowe 
Um, and Aubameyang, who we've invested so much money in and are so direct, yet the ball comes into our midfield and we hold on to it and we set the play. That's another term, just meaning almost like a basketball where the point guard gets it or the ball comes gets given back to the point guard and the, and the coach calls the play and everybody gets in position. I feel like our team doesn't match. And so if we're going to have these athletic um, forwards uh, who want the ball quickly, we need players... There's a guy, uh, I know you know the guy Zambo and Gieser at Fulham, who punches the ball through the lines one touch and raises the tempo. Ruben Neves will do that as well, Pete, but um, he's also somebody that's going to probably be a part of setting the play and switching the play and just holding on to resting in possession, which is another thing that is is big in in coaching. Uh, and Arteta does that as well, which is where you set the play. You reset, you hold on to it, you keep possession for possession's sake just so you can rest, physically have a break, and there's a place for that. But uh, again, I think the, the greatest priority for Arsenal is if you're going to have such a dynamic forward line, you've got to have some dynamism, and Ruben Neves would be fine, but put somebody next to him that's dynamic either on the ball or to punch the ball through to take advantage of the pace and, uh, and aggressive instincts of our forward line. It's interesting as well, because on the Ruben Neves front, I'm pretty sure two seasons ago, if we were linked with Ruben Neves, the reaction would have been a lot more positive. He was flavour of the month two seasons ago when Wolves had a really good year. And then some of the some of the tools that made him look good disappeared from Wolves last season. And because they had a bad season... Now everybody's a bit sour on the player, apart from the Wolves fans who seem pretty keen on him. Um, do you think there's a, a value in picking up a player like Ruben Neves after um, a bad season? Oh, like by signing him for 35 million, are we picking up an undervalued player after a terrible season, or are we just doubling down on an, on the same mistake? Like, is Granite Xhaka wrong for Arsenal, or is Granite Xhaka plus errors the problem for Arsenal? Wow, yeah. I think that Ruben Neves uh, is is fine as an option for Arsenal if he's alongside somebody that's athletic. Um, and may that be party, uh, perhaps. Um, my uh, preference would be to not have a player like uh, Ruben Neves because I feel like there's so many players out there that have so many more tools in the box, Pete. Um, who are athletic, have power and pace, can play with a higher tempo, can accelerate the play on the dribble um, or run off the ball. So um, as good as Ruben Neves is and the fact that he would add, um, I think, a a greater um, attacking threat than Granit Xhaka ever did, I think that there are players, especially for that price point, Pete, that offer, again, more tools and so I personally would move away because I want a guy that can do more. And I think that the fan base are not excited about Neves because they see too much of Granite Xhaka in him. And they feel like, well, if we're going to get rid of Granite Xhaka, then I, I suppose I'm good with that because we get rid of the mistakes and we get rid of the fact that he's run past. And once he's run past, he's useless. And they see the same in Neves. And so as good as Neves is at football, he's almost heading towards the wrong fan base who see his flaws in the guy that he's going to replace, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's like, don't spend three years trying to get rid of an aging, declining star. And then as soon as it looks like you're going to get rid of him, sign William on a three-year deal when he's 32 years old. 
and uh, and this i guess this is the sort of follow-on question and this is just playing devil's advocate a little bit because it does seem like those sorts of players that dictate tempo and just move the ball around they're really exciting right they like i think serie a fans maybe have a, a a a little bit more admiration for players that play that sort of role pure technicians because Arsenal fans got very excited about Locatelli, who was um, one of your recommendations. And look, a very, very good technician uh, and a big boy, uh, like quite a quite an English and sturdy. But watching him um, in the Italian game the other day, although he's great at what he does, he he doesn't um, he doesn't solve for your athleticism problem. And this is the question I wanted to ask: Is is that sort of speciality player that does what Jacka Neves and Locatelli does? Do they generally come in in slow mode, because the 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 only craft they can offer to get into professional football is be very good at that one specific thing because they can't compete athletically. Yeah, I think you've hit it, bingo. I think absolutely, and um, because again, the the game is turning towards uh, the coaches. I think the coaches like those players who are just far more reliable and won't take risks. Uh, and I think that that's another word that just um, rubs Arteta very much the wrong way. You know, Pete, we were so risk averse in that bad patch and we still are to a certain extent. And I think he has such a, a, a hatred, it seems to me, of, of risk in the midfield. And I think Granit Xhaka, uh, Ruben Neves, Manuel Locatelli, these guys are so technically secure, which is good. But um, Arsenal need a balance of security and and risk and risk doesn't just happen in the final third. Risk couldn't it is possible to to happen in the midfield third, but hence why somebody like Maitland Niles hasn't been given a chance because he's a risk taker. He wants to run with the ball through the midfield, you know? Yeah, it's um it's interesting like looking at what Arteta is gonna do this summer because if if there was a consistent criticism even when we were, turn, you know, we turned in a lot of points in the back, you know, the last 60% of the season, we turned in a lot of points. But if there was a consistent flow of, uh, of, of criticism, it was, we're a bit lethargic because there's so much, you know, we almost suck the joy out of the game with the amount of control that we try and uh, it, it impose on games. And if, if you were to shift away from, you know, if we were to shift away from that, what um what players can offer power and pace in your list, but also do a percentage of the work that a Neves, Xhaka or, or Locatelli could do? Okay, well, the, I think maybe he was the first guy that I profiled. His name is Aurelian Chiamani, uh, plays for Monaco. I think he's 20 years of age. Um, he's similar in profile to Paul Pogba and whether you like Paul Pogba or not, I'm just talking about his profile. The fact that, you know, Paul Pogba on his day can do everything. He can be an excellent defender if he wants to be, he can advance the play on the ball um, with the ball. Um, He can play with tempo. He can make the difference. And so this guy is also a young French lad. um, And he's one that is going to probably go to the top of the game. So he's somebody that I would have a preference for. Uh, Ryan Gravenberch at Ajax is the same way. He plays on the left side of a midfield three, but wants to advance the ball um, on the dribble. Um, again, sort of the Jude Bellingham type profile, you know, um, capable of doing most of everything, but but mostly wants to bring the ball to the final third. And that's what that we're lacking. Uh, the Sambi Lakonga, 
is the one that Arsenal are allegedly interested in. Same thing. Um, I can't imagine he's coming in as first choice. If he comes in, he'll be um, a Sabias or on any replacement. But that's the kind of profile. I'm excited by that one, Pete. That's a that's a good one. Uh, I looks, love Zan- he looks he looks really he's, he's exciting. Not as exciting as I mean. I think after your blog, uh, Chalmany was everybody was messaging me saying this kid looks electric. Like yeah. I think he get I think he's getting everybody excited. And I mean, he seems absolutely fantastic. But let um, the the Belgian kid uh, looks to have that sort of Xhaka uh, ability to move the ball between lines, but he's also got some acceleration on him. Yeah, he does. And, and you know, there's, there's Xhaka was fine in maybe two thirds of our games, but there's the other third, Pete. We felt like, oh, we can't compete today. Arsenal can't compete with Granit Xhaka because they've got athletes in their midfield and they're going to try and run through the midfield. And so that's why we need, um, you know, one of these type players. And Geese is one that I find very interesting and won't be expensive because he could play anywhere in the midfield as a defensive, um, as an eight, um, attacking midfielder. And the guy's got absolutely everything. And I feel like if you close your eyes and, and re- remove that Fulham kit and stick an Arsenal kit on there, which is how I, I feel like I have to approach these transfer targets, I, I see a top, top talent there. And, and he's got that age profile which I think Arsenal are going for it seems like all this 23 24 year old a lot of these players are are right in there 25 Um, and then there's some really young players I put at the very back end of my blog who've got unpronounceable names Um, Chuck Wameka uh, at Villa they say is the best young player in England and so um, I don't know if we're going to do something like that and put him straight in the rotation in our midfield but but he's one that looks like he's going to the top of the game um, as well. Uh, and then there's the one that I speculated that I thought Arsenal would sign, which is, um, I think he's pronounced Eli Mariba, who started 14 games for Barcelona. And you start 14 games in the midfield for Barcelona, you are obviously very, very good. And and he's much like Lukonga, just same thing, just a modern, hybrid, athletic, powerful young man, a very young man, but but very impressed that that he was able to to start for a, one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we deal with this midfield conundrum as well, because there uh, it seems that there are two patterns emerging of the summer business, and it's if there is a, if if there is a spinal addition that we need to make, there's a lot of Premier League ready players that have been linked, and if you're going to get rid of Xhaka and you're going to lose a Rob Holding or a Cal Chambers and a David Luiz who's already gone, it you can't put too many players in from foreign leagues. I mean, Thomas Partey, one of the best defensive midfielders in the world, not injured in five seasons, comes to the Premier League and and he was rattled for the first few months, struggled with injury. And even when he came back, he was still getting found out because the pace of the league is just so intense and the the level of technical skill that is now, even at the bottom rungs of the ladder, is phenomenal. So um, you feel like it can't just be one Jacker replacement, you're probably going to need two, right? Yeah. And a Lukonga yeah. and an Anguisa or a Neves kind of feels like the area that we should be playing in. Yeah, for sure. I totally, totally agree. And in fact, the, the players that I picked out in that, in that blog that I would go for, two of them play in the Premier League. I have the exact same feelings as you. I just, as a fan, I'm fed up of having to wait another year for players to adapt. And then another year is another set of players come in when you can bring in some players that aren't necessarily British with that British tax, but they've played in the league. And so Basuma is an absolute 
shoo-in for me is one. And the other one that I would would go for is James Ward-Prowse, which I think Villa, much like Buendia, I think Villa are going to steal a march there and Arsenal are not interested. So uh, I just feel like he has um, all the experience in the Premier League. He's got the perfect age to uh, to snaffle up. And, and those set plays, Arsenal averaged 12 set plays a game. And our set plays are awful. The set play coach needs to be fired. I think we we see that. But that guy is arguably the most elite set play expert in Europe. And to have that kind of option uh, in your midfield, to have a, a guy like Ward Prowse, I think in in the modern game, there are, and those free kicks that, you know, from um, in the final third from wide areas with the high defensive line that you bend in towards the goal, all of these, we need somebody that can um, uh, consistently deliver quality because we've got some, uh, uh, we've got some opportunities there. Yeah, is that there's an opportunity this year, uh, more than like, more than years gone by, where there's uh, we've got a lot of players that that want out that we want to get rid of. There's uh, an injection from the Cronky family, whether that's the 120 million loan or whatever. There's money, and you've got a European market that's absolutely broke. So it's like I, I really, really hope. That we sign a like that the, the the age profile that we're seeing is reflected in the players that we sign because you know you sign a Nabil Fakir and two seasons and he's on his way out. Yeah. If you sign a if you if you sign up like some of the younger players that you're talking about in three seasons time when we perhaps get back into the Champions League those players are ready to bang in the prime years of of, of their careers. So it's um it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, how how it's approached and no moves have happened yet and I just hope that it's not another one of those oh no you didn't go for that you had all of these options and that's where you landed yeah so um the I, th- I think we've like covered the sort of the Sabios Shaka thing and like yeah. your your view is the it, power and pace is what's needed like Danny Sabios always felt like he looked like he could be a good player but too many touches and too too one paced. Um, the, the the news sort of coming out of the club seems to be that um, we did go for Buendia, um, and there's obviously a, a an important reason why we didn't make the move happen. And you just have to take it on good faith that it it it, it was probably a money reason. And forty million for Buendia is quite a lot, especially in a in a broke European market. But Martin Odegaard does not look good. Um, at this moment, um, Carlo is probably going to have to give him a run next season. Fair play to him; I, I, I like him, but I think that there are, I think there are deficiencies that we need to address. If Buendia is the the player that we bid for, even if it was tepidly, um, what does that tell you about the way the scouts are thinking about what Arsenal need next year from uh, an attacking midfielder perspective? Well, he had so many goals and assists um and he did his chance creation when he was in the premier league was so impressive he was up there i think in the top 5 in europe so i think that they just want uh, the biggest guarantee that they can get of of goals and assists and so when you mention odegaard pete that's um interesting isn't it because i i think it was you and johnny talking last week about the fact that these two are a little bit apples and oranges Buendia and odegaard and so why are we going for Erdegaard instead of Buendia and they're sort of two different players um, 
So I feel like um, it, it tells me that they, they just want um, the goals and assists. Uh, Erdegaard brings you half of that, um, unless they can encourage him to shoot more because he's got the Mesut Ozil's about him uh, himself. Uh, when he's in and around the box, he doesn't even want to shoot when he looks like he's technically got the ability to shoot. But um, I've got some players that um, I'm thinking that Arsenal could go for um, if you wanted to hear a little short list here. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think, well, first of all, my mind when I went to this list here is what do you do with Smith Rowe? Because uh, I don't know any, I don't have any information, but I, I have been sort of had my detective hat on and thinking, why has Smith Rowe not signed this contract that apparently has been on the table for quite a few months? People aren't talking about it, but you'd think it, off the back of such a successful season and the fact he's an Arsenal boy, that he would sign that contract super quickly. But then I think his agent might be saying to him, what if Arsenal brings somebody in who's just who's going to bench you because they've invested 60 million in this guy and he's going to play and you can have the scraps. So for me, I would uh, prioritise Smith Rowe. I would give him the keys. I would let him develop uh, in the team because he's proven to be such an asset when he's playing and developing anyway. So then to me, you don't have to go buy a... a, a 30 plus million pound player you go by somebody who can rotate with smith row but isn't going to automatically take his top minutes away so here's some names for you um joey veerman i mentioned him in the blog he's uh, a hybrid central midfielder attacking midfielder plays for heron veen um that's the team in the blue and white vertical stripes in, in the eredivisie with the hearts on them you've yeah. seen that jersey before those red hearts um he is um such a fluid, um, delightful player in the final third. And he registered, I think, seven goals and 10 assists last year. And he wouldn't elbow Smith Rowe out the way. Um, he's one that's up and coming. Another couple for you, Lucas Paqueta. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He plays in the Brazilian national team, plays for Leon as an attacking midfielder, um, had um, nine goals and five assists. Um, but he is almost like a street footballer. Reminds me so much of Pepe, but a lot of people are talking about him as an option, as an attacking midfielder. Um, and then there's Michael Elise. I've heard some folks Michael Elise, you love, you love Michael Elise. Oh, I love Michael Elise. I watched too many Reading games this year because of that young man. And, and he had, I think, 19 goals and assists. And he is just an absolute gem of a player with a wonderful left foot. And for me, Pete, you've got to pick based on instinct. That's as a coach, how I choose that player. What's his instinct? So when I watch him play, does that guy uh, instinctually uh, scan before he gets the ball to look for offensive options? Then when he gets it, does he look to create as his first instinct? Doesn't always have to do it, but he's got to have the instinct to look. And that's why Buendia to me was such a loss because I think that was his instinct. But these other players have that instinct the desire to create first and and they look like they have an aversion to the past completion stats. They're probably handed after the game and shouldn't ever be given because somebody that's going to take a risk shouldn't be told to worry too much about their past completion. But these guys look like they're willing to take a risk. The last thing I'll I'll say is um, I think there's a player at Arsenal uh, in Nicolas Pepe who could play this role. I think we all see, where he's better when he's more central. Uh, he's yeah. a better better finisher um, than he is a, a winger way out 
on the right. And so to get him in central spaces, I see him as a Mohamed Salah type scenario, a player who maybe plays high but checks back, receives it in more central spaces. And so we could play a 4-3-3 with a tighter midfield and much like Liverpool and then play him uh, as an inside right coming back into the attacking midfield zone uh, and being in more central areas to, to attack on the dribble and finish and shoot from range. So I think Pepe is one that the club may look to if they don't get the external solution. What do you think about um, what do you think about Awa at twenty five million? Uh, I think the price is outstanding. I think that the issue with him is he has a tendency to go missing when it really counts. Not all the time, but there's been that's been thrown at him. Um, and I think he's a one-sided player. I think he's the hybrid player that Arteta would want. He could play him anywhere across the front line and probably in midfield as well. But he doesn't have a defensive game. And that just won't roll with Mikel Arteta. I think we all know that. I think that's why certain players haven't been trusted in the first team. Maybe Martinelli hasn't been trusted because he hasn't learned what to do on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think Awa seems to have interest in the defensive side of the game. So I think you'd be rolling the dice a little bit with him unless you could persuade him to put some more energy into his defensive game. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a great answer. But it, also the, the 25 million fee is notable because when when they are, is going in for 40 million and you've got a, you know, a, a, a very young French player that, boss the game in the Champions League quarterfinals and the semifinals just just a season ago. And I think a, a lot of the scouting that people do of, of players over the last season, you do have to remember it was a, a global pandemic and we all know how it affected us in our work lives and our personal lives. So to think that there wasn't an impact on players, I mean, just look at Aubameyang. I'm not sure that he'll give us a 10-goal season next year. Uh, hopefully it will, he'll never have a season as bad as that again. But it's um, it, there is this weird thing with certain players, um, and I had it a little bit with Erdegaard. You know, like um, a bit of the Urzels about them, and and not peak Urzels. You know, like uh, yeah. are not having um, the big personality. Um, Erdegaard, like beautiful technician, uh, like a real purist player, but you you sometimes wondered in the big difficult games when they go missing. Like, if this team needs anything next year, it's a little bit of fire. Like, we need that sort of, that bang-bang, Robin Van Persie, uh, Alexis Sanchez, um, players that can grab the game by the scruff under neck. And the the only player, that, well, we've got two players that really do that well, but um, Smith-Rowe and Saka. But Smith-Rowe is, if we could replicate his energy going forward in that sort of creative role in midfield. I really think we'd be winning. Like I, I, I'm kind of glad that we didn't sign Buendaya because I think he would have taken minutes from Smith Rowe. They feel like the sort of similar energy levels. Yeah, 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 quite possibly. Um, I I think Buendaya could have played anywhere across the front line, Smith Rowe too. So I think what we saw last year... Um, is that uh, if Smith Rowe got moved or when he did get moved from the central area for Erdegaard, he popped up on the left um, and then would often be seen during the game on the right. So I think there was, uh, not to disagree with you, but just to give the other side of the coin uh, in that 
I think Arteta showed that he wanted to play Smith Rowe most of all the time, regardless of where on the field he ended up. And, and I'm with you. I want to prioritize Smith Rowe. I think he just has to add goals and assists, the final piece, which I think we see that he has in him. And then he is the complete attacking midfielder in the modern game. Yeah. And the, the adding goals and assists takes time. And what's he, 18? No, he's 20, isn't he? He's 20 years old. Yeah. I think when they had his first Premier League season at tw- maybe 20, 21 or 22, and he had uh, seven seven assists and one goal. So yeah. there's still some time to go with Smith Rowe. And that's... um. Maybe like some of the some of the players that we've been linked to in the attacking areas, like I'm thinking of um, the the player at Lazio, thinking of um, Rodrigo de Paul, uh, the, and Fakir. They're all players that should have now numbers. And Arteta, I think he, I didn't like the comment that he made at the end of the season after uh, Smith Rowe got his first goal, and he said he's just got his first goal, and that's the problem. He said, we yeah. need 15 goals and 15 assists now. And that felt like, uh, you know, the, a quote that would be pinned up in the analysts' offices. Because clearly, we can't go another season with a midfield that doesn't score goals. And we can't go a season with Smith Rowe getting three goals and Saka getting six. There needs Everybody needs to elevate next season. And I wonder whether you need really to, to buy that in when you're competing with clubs like Chelsea and United that are probably going to spend 200 million this summer. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. You're right. Uh, we do need that. But that also makes me wonder why they're so hot on Martin Erdegaard um, because he, again, seems to have an aversion to shooting and... Um, and his assist numbers probably weren't as high as maybe we were expecting. His general play was really very good. But um, I wonder what the club are thinking. Maybe they're thinking third season Pepe. Pete, maybe they're thinking, you know, third season Saka and they're thinking second season Martinelli. And, and we should get greater levels of performance and goals from all of those. Um, but there does need to be a conversation had about the goal tally. And I don't, who knows, maybe maybe the the quiet piece that we're not hearing now is that they are going to trust Joe Willock. I mean, who knows? I mean, the yeah. guys, the guys are maybe, maybe this thing's going to um, move to a four, three, three and a four, three, three is you're supposed to have a destroyer creator and a, and a, and a box to box goal scorer as your, as your three in midfield. And I would love to see Joe Willock given the opportunity. Uh, and I'd love to think that we have the money to not sell him. So we at least have that option on the bench because half those goals he just scored we're off the bench. So um, I wonder where these goals are going to come from. There's different ways to do it. I think that I think the Joe Willock thing is very similar to uh, when Reese Nelson went to Hoffenheim and he scored eight goals in 12 games. I think he scored, no, I think he scored eight goals off 12 goals, uh, of, of 12 shots, like incredible XG. Uh, and he was at the peak of his powers and, He's sunk since then. He's cost himself because he hasn't gone out on loan twice. And now that's a £25 million player uh, two seasons ago that's now worth five. And I just think Joe Willock, peak of his powers. Newcastle want to build a team around him. I don't don't think his passing numbers in the final third or his retention numbers reflect what Arteta's looking. And I, I think if we can get 20, 25 million for him, I think there are other English players that maybe we could pick up that could do similar things 
um, and, and move us forward. Like I, I, my my biggest worry about every window with Arteta and Arsenal in general over the last ten years is uh, average. Average is acceptable. Blips are considered um, part of the DNA. You know, like last summer, uh, Ainsley. Um, like I, I like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but um, he was he he just bossed a semi-final and an FA Cup final, and now he's gone out on loan to West Brom, and he's probably degraded his value in the transfer market. And what I like about the makings of this summer so far is Rob Holding got a new deal last year, had a pretty okay season, could be on the chopping block. Granite Jacker, one of our better players, out the door. Like I, I like the idea of upgrading when there's opportunities and taking big fees um, when there's a chance because Liverpool do that really well. Chelsea have done that really well, but Arsenal never sell. So we never, yeah. we always have to go with a begging bowl to get money in the transfer market. And this year, finally, there are people that want to buy our players. And I just think that if there's an opportunity to shift uh, a player that can't do what we need without a protection strategy built around them, like I hope we do it. Yeah, yeah. What it, what's your opinion on Donny van der Beek? Because there's been a little few whispers from poor sources, admittedly, but but he's a a midfielder pre Manchester United that was a massive goal threat at the Champions League level, um, and he's not done it at United. And there's probably a cut price fee there. What's your thoughts on him? I mean, yeah, great player, um, great player in Holland. Did did the did the job in the Champions League as well. But if if you if you're looking to bring in Premier League players who will come on Premier League salaries, you've got to know they can do it. And I don't, I don't think it's clear that he can. Um, I would be very surprised if we went sniffing around Manchester United because I'm not sure you even get deals on their cast off if, if you're Arsenal. And we have been there before. <laughs> how many yeah. times do we go to our rivals and how many times has it worked out? I mean, you can't complain about the pedigree, but... Um, I think I think there are better deals to be had in the Premier League, and I'd, I'd also rather pick up a Premier League player that even if they played for a club in trouble, had a good season. Basuma, like exciting name, and Guisa. Everybody was talking about him all season long. Would be a I, I think that 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 would, that's the sort of player where I'd rather go with. Wijnaldum when he went down with Newcastle, everybody knew that he was a top talent. Um, I'd rather go for that than try and pick up broken players because. Um, we did that with Bert Leno to an extent as well. And now he seems to have slipped back to what he was when by, by Leverkusen let him go. What's your thoughts on uh, Van der Beek? Um, I'm very much the same as you. I'd be nervous because he wasn't given a run of games, but it seems like every opportunity he was given, he, um, he didn't take that opportunity and didn't sort of stamp his authority on the situation when I'm sure the fee he came for demanded... Um, him to to play a little more so it would make me nervous and I, I wouldn't want to lose Joe Willock who has done significantly better than Donny van der Beek recently only to bring a guy in that probably costs more money that hasn't done it but has a bigger name yeah you know the and the key thing that we need next season is hunger and um, sometimes players go to big clubs from little clubs and they they lose a bit of that lose a bit of that drive and they don't really give a fuck. And I think we've had that for a lot of years. I'd rather um, sign a player that doesn't think they're a superstar or doesn't think Arsenal's beneath them. That's what, like, Basuma, yep. could he be presenting himself to us more obviously? You yep. know, he's being shown around the stadium. You know 
that Basuma's family is probably electrified at the prospect that their boy could be playing in Arsenal's centre midfield. And I want players like that after like having to watch Mustafi, Kalasanag, all these bums that don't care about the club or the shirt ponce around on huge contracts. I want to see people that give a shit next season. And if if we've learned anything about the Arteta model, um, younger players that want to play for Arsenal do better in an Arteta system. It's the older players or players that think they're too prestige to listen to a young coach that really struggle. So that's why I'm excited by, like, I, I love I love the list that you've got of those players. I hope the Arsenal analysts have got a similar list, but they all seem like players that would fit the bill. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I love the your thoughts on Basuma and I liked what you said about somebody who wants to play for the club and sees it as a privilege. Um, I just, I'm nervous that the first major link was Ruben Neves and then Yves Basuma would look at that and think, well, am I going to be a rotational option? Um, So um, wouldn't be my choice. I would jump straight for Basuma. He'd have been the first signing of the window. I think he ticks every box. His Premier League experience, the perfect age, the perfect price. Um, statistically, he, even when he was at Lille, Pete, he played as an attacking midfielder. So he could even play, you know, in a 4-3-3 or play further forward if they wanted party to stay as a defensive midfielder. There's versatility there. Um, that would be the signing of the summer, I think, for Arsenal. Yeah, I, 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 completely, I completely agree with that. We shouldn't be going near a club that's run by a super agent to start with, especially given Edu's past five years. But Basuma would get everybody excited and he, he he's very similar to Thomas Partey as well yeah. uh, like hopefully there's a, a number eight um a number eight waiting to break out there as well and uh, he's actually got levels to his game that we haven't seen yet yeah uh, Mike that was um that was fantastic I really enjoyed that podcast I know that you've got to get going um tell tell people where they can find um some more of your thoughts um uh, and where they can catch you online Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter as um, Mike underscore M McDonald. Um, I write for Gunnerstown after every game. Uh, it's called Positives, Needs and Hopes, my column that I do, which is slightly different than all the other reviews out there, I'd say. Um, and I do quizzes on the Mr. Arsenal channel. They're kind of fun. Listen to if you're on a long drive. And I've just been asked recently to write for the Gooner. So um, that is uh, a privilege. And so, uh, I used to buy that as a kid. So it's super cool that I'm going to be, I think, writing a, a regular coaching piece for uh, for the Gooner. Yeah, and just for everybody listening, uh, Mike is one of the best writers in the Arsenal space. Uh, he's Gunners Town piece that he does after every game. It, it will bring you off a ledge and it will explain the game in a way that I don't think any other Arsenal writer really manages to come close to. Um, so you should definitely tune into that. And obviously, you should be buying the Guna and subscribing to that because fanzines are, uh, you know, that's where fan culture started. So I'm looking forward to reading your piece in that, Mike. Thank you so much um, for joining. We, we'll have to make this uh, a regular piece. I know everyone's going to be looking forward to uh, your next scouting mission, whenever that will be. Uh, so thank you. You're welcome. Love it. Thanks, Pete. Awesome. And uh, if you're listening, get onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us how good Mike was on that podcast right then. And uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, Mike, hope to have you back in the future. Have a great vacation. Um, Peacock Streaming, the biggest live events. 
from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.